Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. We have another interview today. I'm excited to introduce you to Claire Tanzi. She is Canada's master of mealtime. Thank God. So my hero, basically. She is the author of the national bestseller, Dinner Uncomplicated, Fixing a Delicious Meal Every Night of the Week, and Uncomplicated, Taking the Stress Out of Home Cooking. She has been in the food business for over 20 years as a restaurant cook, a night baker, a test kitchen manager, and food critic. Along the way, she sang lead in a rock band, I'm getting the dirt on that, uh, and also got a master's degree and was the food director for Chatelaine Magazine before founding Claire Tansy's Kitchen, where she inspires home cooks with easy, delicious recipes. She is the guest expert on City Line and CBC Radio, originally from Montreal, mais oui, très bien, Clearly, I don't speak French. Uh, Claire lives in Toronto with her partner, Michael, who eats everything, and their son, Thomas, who does not. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Claire. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Okay. What a great bio. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, So I'm with you. We're going to talk about picky eaters. I'm with you with the one kid who eats everything and the one who doesn't and how that goes in the long run. Uh, But you you just have to, you have to answer my curiosity. Which rock band can we buy the album? Are you on Spotify? (laughs) Where do we find you? You sadly know those were, it was back in the day. It was in the mid nineties before all of that, uh, all, all that kind of recording. I have one cassette tape. I don't even have a cassette deck to play it on anymore. Uh, No, I was in a lead singer in a band called the Chickpeas. Of course. Of course, um, food-related band. Um, 
it was all girl, all women. And we did all uh, cover songs of female 80s bands. So we did Our Lips Are Sealed and Total Eclipse of the Heart. And uh, oh my gosh, I can't even think of all the songs we did, but uh, that was it. And I dressed up like Pat Benatar every time we played. All right. So <laughs> in, in our future, not on yeah. the podcast, but in our future, uh, us Torontonian women need to go hit some karaoke bar and like just totally slam, <laughs> totally slam dunk. <laughs> now, how old is Thomas? You're a mom too. That's like not, that's yeah. critical. Yeah. Thomas is nine. Uh, yeah, he is nine and he is my only child. Yeah. And I'm married to a guy named Michael and he is not nine. And, 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 and so, uh, Thomas, will he eat chickpeas? No. Oh gosh. No, no. not a chickpea. Not he's, a chickpea. He, he's super, he's super selective. Yeah. Um, and this is sort of how I kind of came upon a big part of my life's work, which was, I love to eat. I love to cook. My husband loves to eat. My husband loves to cook. Everybody in all of our families loves to eat, loves to cook. How could we possibly produce a kid who wouldn't even eat mashed potatoes? Right. Like, where is that genetic DNA coming from? And yet many parents, you know, if, if there's your cultural background, your family value, and then damn kids come and stymie it all up. They sure do. Yeah. So I, so he, yeah, so he doesn't eat chickpeas. He doesn't eat a lot of things. I mean, he does eat a lot of things. Um, but I'm at a point now that I'm very chill about it. Um, and that's after years of kind of research and trying stuff out and talking to other families and figuring out what the heck's at the heart of this picky eating business. And is it something that I can fix? So, and what, so she, I mean, I talk to parents too about, about picky eating and I have my own perspectives on it. And something tells me that we're going to be aligned in this, but go ahead. Tell, what have you discovered? How are you advising parents? Um, because I know you speak to this on city line. I know you talk about this in your books. Like we do need to have yeah. like some education and a bit of a perspective shift here. So bring it on yeah. enlighten us. Yeah. The, th- the thing, I mean, I think the number one thing that most, the mis- number one mistake that most parents make and me included um, is to think that picky eating in kids is something that you have to fix. Um, it's actually not because when we look at the evolution of the human, um, it's actually around the age of two to three, between two and three, that kids, um, modern kids become usually kind of picky, selective, call it whatever you want. But if we look at evolution, that's also the time when that size of human starts to get a little bit more independence. They start being able to walk away from their parents. And it's actually evolutionarily really brilliant to become a selective eater at that age. Because you could be away from your parents and eat some kind of fruit or berry or something that was unfamiliar to you, and it could kill you. So that evolutionary kind of drive is actually really key to understanding why our kids get picky. Because my son was the same as I'm sure many other people who are listening. He ate everything until he was about two years old. I mean, spicy curry, hard-boiled eggs, edamame, sushi, everything. Oh, listen, I ate paint. Elmer's white glue, I thought, tasted fantastic. So when you want to talk about kids putting stuff in their mouth and eating it, literally everything. That might be a different problem. But exactly. (laughs) But that's exactly it. So it's actually, um, instead of thinking of picky eating as being something that we need to fix, that it's a problem... Think of it as an amazing gold star on your evolutionary timeline. It's yeah. actually really, really good. Um, and I find for me, when I work with parents, just kind of that piece falling into place kind of makes parents go, oh, I get it. I get it a little better. Um, and then we can kind of move on to the next piece. So the next, the next piece after that is not only is picky eating something um, that you shouldn't fix, 
the thing that parents want to do, which is like, um, you know, try a bite to be polite or eat clean, clean your plate, or uh, you have to eat the last three bites or whatever it is, all of those bribing, pressuring, shaming, um, uh, impulses that we have because we're, we want our kids to be nutrition, you know, have, have nutrition that actually makes it all worse. Yeah. Well, and so interesting, cause I also have been working with some families who like, they just don't like waste. <laughs> Agreed. And I, I also don't like waste don't and like it, waste or what and, there's some right? internal narrative that is creating this need to make this situation different. And yeah, yeah and nutrition isn't yeah. the only one. Yeah. And I mean, and there are, there are lots of ways. I mean, once we kind of figure out the why behind it, then we can figure out all kinds of different ways of making sure that we don't have a ton of waste. Um, but I feel the same. I mean, first of all, I ate everything off of my son's plate. So I'd be like, okay, well now I'm having two dinners. So this can't be right either. (laughs) (laughs) So now we have the baby weight and now we also have the extra weight from eating half the toddler's dinner. (laughs) I'm with you on that one. Yeah. But the, the actual secret is for parents to alleviate the pressure on the child and to just allow the child you know, they crave independence and want it really early. And you know this so well, Allison. One of the things they learn really, really early is there are three things you cannot force them to do, eat, sleep, and poop. And so they have control over those three things and they will control it. Allowing them to have that control and relieving the pressure on them actually helps them to figure out what they need to figure out what they want and to develop into potentially nice balanced eaters as they grow up. You know, and there's, I love that because I'm going to just share my anecdotal story of my daughter and you can tell me how Thomas is doing at nine. Um, You know, my daughter, Lucy, and she, um, you know, just so you know, I always vet if I talk about my kids that they don't mind that I'm publicly putting their stuff out there to the world. Uh, So Lucy was a picky eater and I I would call her a picky eater. I've learned since that I shouldn't say that because it's a label and, and, but she called me on it and she's like, mom, I'm not a picky eater. I eat everything. I eat for folly. I eat cavatappi. I, I eat spaghetti, spaghettini. Like she could name every Italian cut of pasta <laughs> and go on for 20 minutes. And if you're Italian, you know, there are that many all with butter, no sauce. And so how could I possibly say that, <laughs> that she was limited in her repertoire? <laughs> that, is, but, that is brilliant. And I love her for it. Oh my gosh. But now I'm fast forward without the pressure and letting that go and um, having faith because I think you and I are in a privileged position. I think this is really true. When you work with the public and you work with so many families, how many children have come through your doors and your programs and all this? And same with me in my counseling practice. So we have a larger sample size to be able to say, if you take the long road, things will be fine. So Lucy, sure enough, she loves to cook. She loves Indian curries. She loves hot sauce. Like I'm like this kid with that palate at that age for so long turned into this adult who knew, but, but the more I see that, then I have a confident, a quiet confidence that you have Claire, that we have to like pass on energetically to the parents and say, I don't know. I just have one kid in there too. And they're not eating. And I think they're going to die of malnutrition and, you know, um, so, yeah. And that's, and that is, I mean, listen, as our, as parents, our job is to keep these children alive, right? Like that's our number one job. And 
a big part of that feels like it has to be nutrition. It has to be enough calories. It has to be enough protein. It has to be enough fiber, all of that stuff. I mean, don't get me started on the misinformation about health and nutrition that exists in the world for adults, even for kids, it, 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 you're, it's added to, you add to your own the pressure on yourself as a parent because you think that you're not doing it quite right. And then there's also this kind of secret shame, like, is your kid going to go to their grandparents' house and, you know, sit down for Thanksgiving or holidays or whatever and refuse to eat anything except a roll? And how embarrassing is that going to be when your brother's kids do, you know, eat it? Or they're going to go to a restaurant and you're going to have to order the pasta with the butter. Like, all of that kind of contributes to this extraordinary pressure we put on ourselves as parents, moms in particular, um, to fix this problem. And it's really frustrating for all of my clients um, and all of my students and readers when I say to them, the solution is to let go. <laughs> no, they want different solutions. I mean, we have other solutions, more practical stuff that I can talk about as well. But that's the, the ultimate one is to, um, to just let them figure it out. Let go, let them figure it out. But to your point, there's still some strategic things to do there. Um, yeah. So let's, let's kind of take, so you got the two-year-old, the three-year-old, they're kind of being demanding. So what, what are you doing? Are you accommodating? Are you are you uh, making everybody else's having salmon with couscous and your kid is having the chicken fingers with fries? Or are you going to go that far? Mm-hmm. So here's, here's what I always suggest for family dinner. So first of all, I think family dinner is the most important thing you can do for your family, even if it's uh, grilled cheese sandwiches or mac and cheese out of a box. If you guys can sit together, that is the best thing you can do for your health, your nutrition, you and your family. When it comes to actually what the food is, here's the, here's the deal. It is the parent's job to decide when dinner is served and what is served. It is the child's decision to, um, to decide what they're going to eat, how much they're going to eat, and even if they're going to eat. So what we want to do um, in terms of practicality is when you're thinking about making dinner, you always want to serve everything family style. You're not going to portion things out for everybody. That's going to help us with the waste in a minute. And also you want to make sure that there's always something on the table that you know your children will eat. Now, this can be saltines. This can be, I mean, for us, for many meals, it is rice. It is just good old steamed rice. Sometimes it's bread and butter. Um, whatever it is, there is one thing in that collection of items on your table that you know your child will eat. And then that's when the no pressure comes in. You put everything family style on the table. You let everybody serve themselves. You do not, there. if they don't want to eat anything, they don't have to eat anything. They do have to sit there and, you know, and have a conversation with you, or at least, you know, you get, I, I always say like, give it 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And that's kind of it. And I know now you're thinking, yeah, but Claire, my, my kid's not actually going to eat anything like the kid's going to eat anything. So that's why you always have that one thing on the table that, you know, they will eat. And, you know, so say, honestly, like I said, my son, he's nine years old. He's perfectly healthy. He has been built on bread and butter, pasta with butter crackers with butter <laughs> oh rice cakes with butter another good one right there you go yeah I, and you know I had to really hear that from the medical community um I was giving a talk to doctors at sick kids hospital and I was you know sort of saying hey listen this is the advice I give parents but like I just you know what's your take on that are you seeing like a lot of malnutrition kids coming in through the door because they're taking our advice and they're like oh my god seven years of salting crackers they're they have no iron they haven't I'm like no actually that's really no <laughs> It's really not. That's really malnutrition. Kids are just not showing up in North American culture. 
years where, you know, so the difference between optimal and detrimental, that range is, is massive, right? So, uh, you know, go to your doctor, don't, you know. Yeah. And, and, and trust that certainly in Canada, all over North America, um, the food that we eat is first of all, extraordinarily safe, but it's also super fortified, right? I mean, you look at crackers and there's actually good stuff in there. I, I love to, I, every time I teach a class on pasta, first of all, it's like myth busting left, right, and center. But the, one of the biggest myths I love to, to bust is if you pick up that box of pasta and look at the nutritional panel, look at how much protein is in a portion of pasta. It's 12 grams. It is 12 grams of protein in one portion of pasta. You add some butter and some Parmesan cheese on that and you're up to 15 grams and that is well and above the average recommendation for a meal for a young child. So don't feel like they're not getting their protein because they're only eating pasta. Don't feel like they're not getting their fiber because they're only eating pasta. It's going to be okay. And the more that we allow them to figure that out, the quicker it's going to happen. Yeah. Rather than to, to your point, getting positional and entrenched, and then we're more likely for them to start getting into some psychological war zone as opposed to what they really want to pick for themselves. And that's what I meant about like when they know that they can control what they eat, you know, that's when we see kids with certain personalities really leaning on that. Right. And when they feel like they can't control anything else, they got to go to school. They got to wear their mitts when it's cold out. They got to have a bath tonight when they know they can control what they eat. They want to control it. So yeah. Let them. And Claire, yeah. speak, speak a little bit about the tone at the family table. Cause again, I'm thinking there is going to be just a different tone. If all you're talking about at the table is, did you eat, chew with your food? Did you try it? Yeah. Oh, this is a tough one. Forget all that. The actually the one of the greatest things that parents can do for their kids is to model good behavior. So enjoy your own dinner. Mm, gosh, I love broccoli. Not I love broccoli. You've really got to try it, but I just love broccoli. Oh man, this salmon is so delicious. Thank the cook. Uh, I can talk a little bit about table rolls. I think table rolls are super important. Um, and try to make the atmosphere of the dinner table peaceful. So I call this whole program the peaceful dinner table because when the table is not a place of fight, not a place for psychological warfare, not a place of pressure and bribing and, and shaming, that's when the kids actually can feel relaxed and calm and calm kids are curious kids. So when they are calm and relaxed, that's when they're going to feel like, okay, maybe I will try this broccoli tonight. Maybe, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll hate it. It takes between 20 and 30 exposures to a food, a new food for a kid to even feel comfortable to try it, let alone learning to fall in love with it. So between 20 and 30 exposures. So keep making your broccoli, keep having your salmon, keep having your spicy curry. Um, show your kid how much you like it and talk about other stuff at the table. Talk about how's your day. Talk about what we're doing next week. Talk about who cares what you talk about, but don't talk about the food and try to enjoy each other's company. And it's so primal, isn't it? I mean, isn't there is something in our DNA that says we're supposed to sit around the fire pit, break bread, share the yep. wildebeest that we've roasted because you picked the yep. berries and I went out and did this and now we're all talking about it. You know, and you just I'm pretty sure in tribal times they weren't, you know, telling kids take two more bites. <laughs> No, no. In fact, they were probably like, don't eat those because I want those bites. Yeah, no, that's right. We're starving. Yeah, food is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it is. But thinking back to that, that fire pit, that storytelling, that it's that's what's so amazing about family dinner is that gathering. And I like to get rid of all the stress there because 
then, I mean, my son is nine, but when he's 13, I want him to also know that he can come to that table and there's no pressure. And that if he feels like there's something maybe big he wants to talk about or whatever, big or little, I want him to be able to talk about it at that table. And I don't want that table to be a place of like, well, what do you mean? No, you have to do this or you have to do that, or you're not leaving here. I want it to be a happy space, a peaceful place um, where our family actually gets to be together for at least 15 minutes in one day. Yeah. And and I I don't know if the general public realizes how much modern family life, I know we have the pandemic, it's made things a bit of a hiccup, but if you look at the general trajectory, we're losing family mealtimes, all of them, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and the, unfortunately, at the same time, the research continues to show that having a family dinner, having a regular family dinner, does not matter what's on your plates, but having a regular family dinner is the single strongest predictor of like academic behavioral and emotional success. Uh, you know, reduced rates of drug use and early sexual activity, like all of that stuff. It's the family dinner. Forget about the meditation. Forget about the violin lessons. If you can find, and that's why I'm all about de-stressing dinner and making it easier. Yeah. If you can get a dinner on the table, any dinner on the table, most nights of the week, you are already so far ahead of the game in terms of allowing your kids to bloom, blossom, and thrive into the humans that you want them to be. So great. And so does now, so Thomas is there with his discriminating palate, of, as I've learned oh. to say, to, to, learned to say yeah. to uh, he's got his preferences and he's a human being. And I'm sure there's lots of adults out there. I know, I know some adults that don't like Brussels sprouts and I'm like, really? Wow. Okay. I didn't know. I, I, count, I, I counsel, I counsel a lot of couples who, for whom the picky eater is, is one of the adults. Yeah. It, like, yeah. yeah. Sensory issues. It could, you know, it could be, I just don't like the pulpiness of the tomato or whatever. We're all different people. You know, we all got to get along. So here you got Thomas. He's got his, he comes to the planet with his discriminating, whatever. Does he join you in the kitchen? He's nine. What's his, does he show any proclivity or interest in, in preparation? He does. He always wants to pretend that he's on a TV show, which I say lean into that, right? Because the kids are all watching all these TV shows, food shows, YouTubers. Um, now it just so happens that I do have a TV studio that I set up in my kitchen because <laughs> as um, every mother does, <laughs> but honestly, even propping up an iPhone or a tablet somewhere and then pretending like you're in a cooking show that makes a huge difference to him. And he loves to come in and he'll be like, mom, let's tell the people why we're adding molasses to this recipe. <laughs> like, okay, Thomas. <laughs> so he loves to pretend cooking show with me. Um, and I love that now. I think, so for me, I think kids need to start learning to cook when they're 11. I think by the time they're 11, they should be able to cook and they should actually be cooking for their family probably twice a month. Um, so I, I actually teach classes for kids who are that age, but so at this point for Thomas, he's nine, I just want the kitchen to feel like a fun place for him. You know, I just want it to be a positive experience. Yeah. You know, I remember getting my first Betty Crocker children's cookbook from my grandmother. And when I could make like the first, whatever, three ingredient or two steps, something, and that I could then serve it to my family or to my brothers. You know, I was the baby in the family had three older brothers uh, and they all cook too. Can I tell you, I actually come from a, lots of men cook. Don't think this is just your daughters. But what I'm more importantly was just like, my brothers were like kind of in a pack doing their own thing. And this was something that I could do. Yeah. that was important. And I could bring them cookies. And when they had friends over, I could say like, do you want to offer cookies to your, your guy? For-? It was like, this was how I got my status as I could cook, you know? And I, 
it was a game changer for me. I loved that cookbook. I can still see the font. I can still see the pictures on it. Amazing. And that's what I teach my, my, my teen and tween students. I say like, yeah, it's great to be able to feed yourself and nourish yourself and but you're going to be super popular as well with your friends because you're going to be able to cook for them. It feels nice though, right? Like, uh, you know, in Adlerian psychology, which is my training, we have this word called social interest that, you know, the care and concern for others. And I, I, I think that, you know, f- making a soup and dropping it off at a grandparent's house when they're sick or, you know, taking cookies to the bake sale or, you know, and that expression of caring through food um, is just one of those social interest pieces. It just feels, it feels so good. And yeah, what, what so a good. great opportunity yeah. to let our kids express that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Love it. There, there is a difference between getting up and learning to be independent and making your own breakfast than getting up and serving the whole family pancakes on a Sunday morning. I think those are two yeah. different experiences. Agreed. You have to crack eggs for both of them, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, they are very different. They are very different. And that's one of the wonderful joys of cooking is that yeah, you, you're not going to be hungry if you know how to cook, but you can also, there's that whole social piece, entertaining, comforting, welcoming. Uh, it, that's such a beautiful part of cooking that I love so much. And that's a lifelong journey, right? Like you can yeah. start that when you're 11 years old and never, and never finish your education on that. You know, my, uh, my nephew, who I'm sure probably doesn't listen to this podcast and has not given me permission to share this story. So I have many nephews, you don't know which one. Um, but, you know, they grew up with with peanut allergies in their family. And so in order to manage that, they had a pretty limited repertoire of just sort of vetted, okay things. And so now, you know, he's, um, he's of the age where he is out of the house and graduated from university, and he would like to start entertaining the ladies and um, realizes that he doesn't really have like his showpiece his oh, yeah. show piece, he doesn't have a show piece meal. And yeah. so I've been like saying, I think you should start with sheet pan dinners. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, sheet, sheet pan dinners. That's one of my recipe formulas. I have like six recipe formulas that I lean on and a sheet pan supper. Uh, you know, you kind of think of your protein, your vegetables and your aromatics, and you can mix those up, whether it's pork with uh, potatoes and thyme, or whether it's tofu with ginger and broccoli, like sheet pan supper is you you live forever on sheet pan suppers but i agree that everybody needs their kind of go to like we won't call it marry me chicken but like you know you need your little show off <laughs> menu right like, <laughs> but you know i mean he's he's post university so he you know this is the first time where the rubber kind of hit the road for him but you're saying like the skill set for that you said 11 to start at what you know at what age do we start getting teens to like learn a few of these things, come into the kitchen, be part of a contributing member of the family where you say like, I got this, I'm doing chili tonight. I'm doing the sheet pan tonight. Yeah. So like I said, so I start my classes at 11 and uh, 11, I believe from 11, 12 and 13 is a great, it's uh, that's actually the sweet spot because that's when kids will kind of still listen to you. Um, but they're anxious to have their own independence. So they're anxious to be able to try some stuff out, but you know, you're, you're the parent, you're the potted plant, like in the corner. So that if something catches fire, well, then maybe you can pop in and say, congratulations, (laughs) I can help you. Um, as of the age of 14, 15, I really believe that kids can be contributing to their family, um, meal rotation. So that's at least two times a month. And that means, and gosh, we know that it's not just actually putting the chicken breasts on the pan. It's planning the meal. 
It's making sure that the groceries are in the house, whoever does the grocery shopping. Um, it is cooking the meal. It is cleaning up. Um, and so that is, I mean, I just feel like if every 15 in the world, if 15 year old in the world could cook five simple meals, the world would be a better place. Um, and, and honestly, like it's, it's a great way for them to learn. It's a great way for them to be independent. A lot of kids are trying out veganism, uh, interested in, you know, unusual different types of food. Great. Fantastic. Lean into that. Let them make you some kind of cashew cheese covered, who knows what. Um, but then it's also giving them those skills that when they leave the nest, they will need. It just dawned on me, um, going back to benefits of the, and sorry if I'm being circuitous and taking you on a runaround here, uh, but one of the benefits of the serving things family style, where it's whatever, there's crackers, bread and whatever, as well as pork and green beans or whatever. If you've got the vegan or you've got the person who does have whatever the dairy sensitivity, the political stance on, you know, they're only going to have farm raised whatever's and, and you know, yeah. we're, to honor that and to say great and great. Yeah. You know, yes. And not yeah, either and. or. Yeah. And that's it. And I, that's one of the biggest tips I say to anybody who's dealing with picky eaters or differences in opinion at the table of any age is think about serving your dinners deconstructed. So the classic example in deconstructed dinners is tacos. You know, you've got a plate of shells, a plate of meat, a plate of cheese, a plate of chopped tomatoes, a plate of cilantro, a plate of green onions. Um, make, make sure there's a plate of vegan beans in there as well. And then everybody gets to assemble their own. So the gluten-free person can do this. The dairy-free person can do this. The vegan person can do this. The person who hates cilantro can skip it. The person who loves it can add it. That in itself does so much work. And there are tons of different meal ideas that you can do deconstructed, but that in itself does so much work. Uh, first of all, means that the person who's cooking gets to cook one meal uh, and everybody's happy, which is huge. Um, also, yeah, like you said, it shows that there are lots of tastes in the world and everybody is right. And if you are just going to take your taco shell and put beef and cheese and mild salsa in it, that is no different from the person who's sitting next to you who's having a pile of rice with avocado, cilantro, and uh, spicy hot sauce. Doing like a and bowl. All be at the table together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Now, what about just basic planning? Like, I, I have to tell you, I almost have an allergic reaction to the question, what's for dinner? And, and, oh. and, I, and I, listen, I love to cook. This is, I try to get people to understand. I love to make dinner. I hate to cook supper. I don't know if you can get the difference between that. Like I, I love when I'm going to like turn on the music, pour a glass of wine. Yeah. I'm going to like roll up my sleeves. I am now in like chef. And I, and if there's a person to, that I know, like my children are home, they're going to eat it. I'm like, oh, this okay. is going to be the greatest thing. Um, but if it's just getting through the grind of, oh my God, what's in the fridge? I don't have anything. I, I just pushed away from my desk at six o'clock. I don't think I'm alone in this pain point. You are not. And in fact, I teach a whole six week course on this. Because, oh, dear God, Claire. So, okay. Yeah. I'm signing up. There's my new. Yeah. Okay. I'm it's in. called Fixing Dinner because this is, I mean, in my la my most recent cookbook, Dinner Uncomplicated, is focused exclusively on dinner because everybody said it has the same problem. I have the same problem. I'm a professional cook for goodness sake. And I have the same problem. And I, I did so much research and surveys and, and stuff when I was writing the book. And I realized that the secret is hateful. The secret is meal planning. And I hate meal planning. I hate meal planning. I rip the stupid meal plan up. I hate it. it. Makes me so mad. You can't tell me what to do. Even though yeah, what if I don't feel like that when Thursday comes around? Exactly. Yeah. Well, there are five different types of meal planner, 
And it's kind of like, I'm not a personality test or an Enneagram, but it's like, there are five completely different ways of meal planning. And there is one that I promise clicks into your life because I've done this with thousands of people. And there is one that clicks in with your life. And actually then once you can figure out that little crack that nut about what meal planning type actually clicks with your life, then you can create a meal plan that actually works for you. That's not hateful. That actually helps you. Can so we do an that, online quiz for this so that I can do, I do, I do have an online oh my, quiz. I, share it I did. Oh my God. Okay. I'm your number one client right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to find out my so food one, type. So that is a huge piece. Um, and honestly, I tried every which way around this because like I said, I hate meal planning. Um, but then when I realized that it's that low volume stress that we feel every day on our shoulders, what's for dinner, what's for dinner, what's for dinner. I don't know exactly what you said. I don't have the groceries. I don't have the time. I don't want to go to the store. I don't have an idea even of what to make, or I've got a picky eater or any of these things. If you can, because by the time dinner time rolls around at six o'clock, your brain is pretty well checked out for the day. You've made enough decisions for the day. And so the last decision you make is I'm ordering in, right? But if you can take 10 minutes at a time in your week, when you have a teeny tiny bit of creative juice, you can get all that stuff planned out. It doesn't have to be every night. Like I said, there are five nights, five different types of planner. You can get it all sorted out. And that relief is exquisite. It is delicious. And then you, you just, you just get to let all of that stress go. It's just gone. And you just know that, oh, it's Thursday night. Okay, this, I'm just going to check my meal plan. This is what we're having for dinner. I've got all the ingredients. Or do you know what? I don't feel like that. Well, that's when in my course, I teach you how to make back pocket dinners. And that's when you can kind of make a dinner from the stuff that's just already in your pantry. Uh, so life throws you a curveball. You can make a back pocket dinner. It's on the table in 15 minutes. Delicious. So that those two, those two components are so helpful, so helpful. And especially in the last year and a half, the pandemic grind is real. The burnout of having to make dinner, we have had no options for so long that it is real. And so I am here to make that whole process so much easier. And I have, like I said, I've done this with thousands of people. They get through, they get these, they figure out what their meal planning type is. They know their back pocket dinners. I teach a couple of other key lessons and then dinner actually starts to feel well, like maybe the best part of your day instead of the worst. So what about, um, Again, I'm going for pain points here. And I just was yeah. talking to a family this week in my private practice and we were talking about meals. And um, again, it comes down to, and we're getting busier post-pandemic. I, I, I think people enjoyed that we slowed down because people couldn't do extracurriculars. People couldn't go to uh -huh. friends' houses. So uh -huh. suddenly everybody was home and you could save dinners at six o'clock. But now uh -huh. we're starting to get back onto the little gerbil wheel of life. And now they're going to go to tennis and I got to go to kickboxing and they've got, they don't get home from work because they commute. So they're not home till 630. And then it's like, I love the ideal of everybody being around the family dinner table, but mm -hmm. what if the schedules of four independent people just mm -hmm. don't seem to collide often? Yeah. That, and that totally happens. And of course, as our kids get older, that happens more and more. more. Um, that's when you just take it when you can get it. And on those nights, and now I grew up in a family like this, that if there was a night when you were somewhere in the vicinity of the home at six o'clock, you were home for dinner. You were home for dinner. Like, so you just sort of, and one of the things about making dinner important is you make dinner important. And so, and also relieving that pressure at the table, it can actually be a pretty awesome place uh, to sit. So um, grab it when you can. 
if you know there are going to be nights when it's only going to be, you know, two of you at the table or three of you at the table or you're missing everybody, get yourself to that table, sit yourself down. Even if it's two of you, you can have a different kind of an energy. Try not to cop out of it. Lean into it. I love that. And also think about the people who do lean into it. Like I'm thinking about, you know, people in the Jewish tradition where it's like, you know, you can invite your friends, but we have like our Seder and you're, and you're, that's expected. And what ends up happening is from the expectation becomes the ritual becomes yeah. the, but of course becomes the wonderful fond memories. Now I didn't yeah. have that on the Friday nights, but I certainly in my family, you know, again, we were all busy and both my parents worked. And so, yeah, it was a lot of crock pot skillet dinner things. Mm-hmm you know, between hockey games and ballet lessons and whatever was going on in the family. Um, but Sunday and my dad, my dad loved to cook. So when he had time was Sunday, he was rested from the work week and shopped at the farmer's market on the Saturday. So Sunday was when you were going to get the killer meal and nobody missed it, man. So, you know, still great memories of Sunday dinner. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Those, those memories are, it, those memories are, listen, it's not going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every single week, but take it when you can get it. Because exactly like you said, those are the memories that you are building. All right. So um, I want to talk to you about lunches and then see if there's anything else. Mm-hmm. Glaring holes in what I should have asked you. Lunches. I make their lunches. They don't like lunches. They say it gets the quesadilla gets soggy and they didn't eat their vegetables and they came back and then, you know, I had to throw everything in the garbage and, uh, you know, lunches seem to just drive parents around the bend too. Yeah. 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 Uh, And again, same here, nine-year-old, very selective eater. Um, I I always say the sooner you can get them involved in choosing what's in their lunch, the better. Uh, As of a, I literally just finished a make your own lunch boot camp. We did it. We did it just earlier this month. Um, What was the ages of the kids enrolled? 11 to 15. 11, 11 to 15. Here, this parent's 11. They can do it. Yeah. A little training. They can, they can do, do it. it. And, um, and that's one of those times when you kind of have to let them fail. Oh, that's the hardest part. You know, the day that yeah. they don't make their lunch, they don't get lunch. Uh, anyway, but before that, because there's a lot of lunches up until the age of 11, keep it simple. Again, remember, you want to put something in there that you know that they eat. You're welcome to put something in there that you hope that they will try. But then also remember that 20 to 30 exposures. So 20 to 30 exposures of a food before they're even willing to try it. So if you've been sending uh, sliced red peppers and they keep coming back and they keep coming back and they keep coming back, don't fret. You do have to sort of keep at it a little bit. Now that said, we hate having to throw everything out at the end of the day. It is horrible. I understand. That's kind of part of the bargain. Um, and, uh, I'm still experiencing it. Um, and I just try, I just try to kind of gently chat with my kid about what he wants in his lunchbox, make sure that there are some things in there that he will eat. And honestly, for the most part, I'm not really trying to change the world with lunch. I'm just trying to get him to school and home again with a meal in his stomach. <laughs> and maybe buy a rabbit that can eat the soggy red peppers that come mm. home at four o'clock. Yeah. Well, we have a, we have a Labrador puppy and she'll eat anything. So <laughs> <laughs> the apple slices, she's always now when my son comes home and opens up his lunchbox, she just comes right in and sits right down. She's like, what do you got for me today? It's got to be something left in the lunchbox. Something's got to be left in the lunchbox. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think, but you know, yeah, I came from again, take just the pressure off yourself. Yeah. The, 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 thank you, Claire. That's the, he, this is the expert here. Claire is telling you, you She's done the research. She's worked with thousands of families. This is her line of work. 
we are making problems for ourselves with our intense worry and let and less is more you know you're you're hearing it from people in the know so i think parents like to have the permission to because i think the what's going on in their mind is they're saying a good mother wouldn't let this go on so they really need to hear it from the experts no a good mother would make less of that uh, less of a deal about the lunch yeah, yeah. I, I ate a cheese with mayonnaise on white bread sandwich and nothing else every day in high school for four years nothing else uh, and like <laughs> i became a chef years after just like three years after that i became a chef <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure your parents like what who knew i'm gonna have to write my i think my next parenting book is going to be called the benefits of benign neglect <laughs> oh, yeah yeah oh. well it's, it's good to it's it is i think in particular now to be just a little bit serious about it is there is a lot of pressure on on parents from social media and uh, a lot of other pop culture to be, uh, you know, Pinterest worthy, to be Instagram worthy, um, to have that cute little lunchbox. And, you know, you, you read these, these parenting blogs that are like, Oh, it's easy. Just, you know, make your sandwich look like a teddy bear and they'll eat it. A hundred percent. No, that is not the case. Um, and so just relieve that pressure. And if your kid will eat it, then send it, send it in the lunchbox. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, let me um, uh, say to you, what do you wish the parents would uh, take away from this conversation that I haven't yes, yet directly asked you? <laughs> well, I would think, this, the, especially if you're dealing with kids under the age of 10 and they're picky, remember this. Number one, it's evolutionarily correct. So there's a reason uh, their the little lizard brains and in the insides of their brains uh, is doing this for a reason. The biggest mistake we make as parents is to think that it's a problem that needs to be fixed. And in fact, the thing is, the best thing to do is just relieve all the pressure. Um, and I do have three things that I think every parent could do right away, like that are not complicated, that they could do right now to help ease this strain of piggy eaters. Okay, you ready for those three? Get ready. Get a pen and paper, folks. Okay, number one, you're going to set some table rules. Um, you're going to decide these rules as a family. Um, I can, I can share some ideas, but some of these things are like, you know, you always, everybody says thank you to the cook. Uh, you know, you don't have to eat, but you do have to sit and you do have to sit in your bum. Uh, there are at our table, there are forbidden words. Nobody ever says yuck or gross. Um, so set yourself some table rules. There's no screens at the table. That's a really big one. Brilliant. Show, show your kids that dinner is important you know, and that they're important, put your screens away. So that's number one, set some table rules for the family. Number two, if you still have uh, kids who are kind of coming home and saying, hey, can I have a snack? Hey, can I have a snack? Hey, can I have a snack? Stop the snack wagon, set meal times and set snack times. So, you know, breakfast is always at 7.30, uh, lunch is always at noon, dinner is always at six, there's a snack at 10 and there's a snack at three. In between those times, there's no snacking. You want people to come to the table kind of being hungry. That alone makes a huge, huge difference. And then the third thing, as I said earlier, is just to relieve the pressure, just to try to make that dinner table a little bit more peaceful. A peaceful dinner table is a good friend to every parent. Love it. Love it. Oh, my goodness. Claire, I'm going to put all of your um, <laughs> you know, contact information in the show notes, but let me give you, is there anything you need to, to promote? Like you've got these classes, these courses, like do a little, take, take a moment, take the floor, please. And do a little shameless I, promotion. The floor is mine. So I would say number one, um, come and visit me on Instagram. We do lots of great stuff. Tansy Claire. Uh, my website is claretansy.com. If you want to check out my classes, uh, there are links all over the place and you will see that in January, I run a free de-stress dinner challenge 
uh, which is free and it is so amazing. We have thousands of people go through it every January. You should totally come and join us. Um, and if you wanna take, uh, take up a little bit more time of my time in terms of picky eaters, I do have a picky eaters masterclass available and I also do private counseling. So uh, clairetansy.com or even peacefuldinner.com, peacefuldinner.com will get you there. And of course, and your cookbook's amazing. Thank you. Oh my gosh, my cookbook. Yes, everybody needs Dinner Uncomplicated. It's got a beautiful blue cover. It's available everywhere. It's probably on sale um, and you will love it. Great Christmas present. It's coming, yeah. right? We're getting to the holiday season. Who doesn't want something that gives a solution to a, a parent's pain, which is my yeah, pain. Do a, do a favor, do a favor to all the parents in your life. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. Oh, and also, you know, I'll also share, uh, you can have the link for the, um, the home cook type quiz because that's also really fun. Oh, excellent. Okay. And that's the same place I'm going to find the, what, what my, that's the meal planning type. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, all right. I'm yeah, doing so that. I'm doing that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I'll put those in the show notes. Thank you, Claire, so much for your time and your insights and giving parents permission to do less, knowing that it's going to produce more. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Allison. And thanks for everything that you do. Oh, thank you. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.